It's Tuesday, April 12th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear. Free to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear. Need something custom? Hot melted plastic. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Mike Lindell's got some flash sales going on. The humblest of pillow farmers and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. They're taking care of one thing besides election fraud. It's to ensure that you have the best night's sleep you've ever owned. When you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, you're getting big, big savings. Put them up on the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at one 800 658 45. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're uh, gaming, potting, not wanting to lose your love tonight, get those ears taken care of at odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into tradesies, he's got a five-star rating. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Hit them up on Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off ge- duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. It's pretty fire IG. Find them at mediocremedic.com. And last, but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Can be found at Dumpbox, US. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on Facebook as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or via the website at SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our Substack, Telegram, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now, True Social. Welcome to Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 124. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's predisposed today. She's looking to be back soon, resting up. We've got a big, big show, a couple great guests, America First interviews, and we're going to bring you a whole bunch of the news, so let's jump right into it. How's it going, Noah? Well, here we are, back again. At this juncture in time. At this juncture in time. <laughs> we stand on legs. So on the left. 
on the right. Northern, I mean western flank. Yes. Well, the news cycle uh, continues to spin, sometimes out of control. We saw this morning, I don't know if you're up on the uh, news of the day, no, but we experienced our first false flag event after Joe Biden attempted to grab our guns yesterday. Oh, good. Yeah, today in New York City. Who doesn't like a good false flag? I was looking for uh, the root causes of white supremacism. However, the description on the news said a uh, 55 Husky black male. How dare they? Um, Did they try to uh, change his tint when they put the photo up? No pictures yet. Uh-huh. However, it's reported that he donned a gas mask, released some smoke canisters in one of the subway stops in New York City, and then fired into a crowd of people exiting the subways, hitting 10 of them, killing none, before making a hasty departure. Huh. Yeah. Handgun? We don't know. Well, if, if it was a rifle, they would have probably mentioned that already. True story. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be a ghost gun, though, because that's what they're going after. Oh, yeah. Whatever totally. that is. Um, yeah, so we saw that. I mean, it, it was either he didn't, he got this locations messed up. Was this guy really short? Is that he shot everybody in the legs or something? Five, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, Quite an accurate description for somebody. Shooting from the hip. Who they don't know what they look like. But, um, yeah, maybe he got his locations messed up and they were doing reshoots for the Batman. Oh, it's possible. Sounds like a scene out of that movie. Mm. I saw it. A little long, but not bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, you know, we'll get into the Joe Biden thing later, but it's not really that important because I don't really see too much coming out of it, but as always, they're looking for something to capitalize on his bullshit narratives that he continues to ram down our throat. Um, and we're just presuming it's a false flag. It's not like confirmed false flag. Right. Yeah. Aren't they all? Yes. So you have to remember it was uh, three years ago to the day that the FBI said because of white supremacy, we would see events that uh, endangered our politicians. Um, oh, our dear, sweet politicians. Right. And we turned out. Uh, we, we got into that verdict that was breaking on our Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast where the Fednapping plot in Michigan involving Gretchen Whitmer saw two of the defendants off on a not guilty verdict and the other defendants was a hung jury, so they were going to be pretty much acquitted. Um, and the only people it looked like that gotten, you know, any kind of... Uh, real meat and potatoes into that whole narrative was the FBI agents that supposedly infiltrated the group. Those wily FBI agents. They are uh, quite wily. (laughs) You know who's not? One of our greatest partners, Mike Lindell. So Donald Trump rocked Selma, North Carolina, over the weekend. And uh, as part of pregame festivities, Mike Lindell was there, and he was talking about... uh, the importance of the times we're living in, not just in the case of stolen elections and elections moving forwards. The but time right now? As of this time? Which passes, and then as we continue to move, we are currently sitting in time which is now passed as well. Let's hear Mike Lindell. Happening, all these bad things that you see happening, they're kind of meant to be because people are waking up. It's waking people up, and they're looking for hope. And that's why I'm telling you, we are in the, God gave us grace for one reason. We are in the greatest revival for our great Lord Jesus Christ in history. Thank you all. God bless you. I don't care what anybody says about him. He's beloved by the people. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and well-received everywhere he goes. I never hear people booing or, you know, talking about being tired of the narratives that he's trying to push. It seems like uh, the the American 
family is the one thing that he's out there trying to protect the most, and uh, he, he really puts a great spiritual spin on it. Because we probably are living in something that's comparable to biblical times. I definitely think we're in the uh, prequel of Sodom and Gomorrah 2. Sodom and Gomorrah. -er. <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah 2. Cruise control. Yeah, there you go. Does that mean the meteor hits faster? <laughs> um, North Carolina Representative Greg Murphy was also there. He spoke as part of the pregame festivities and, and brought up one of the crucial issues facing the nation right now. Um, when you take the drug, drug trafficking element and, and, and the way it's affecting a lot of the people in the United States, remember uh, opioid deaths are now the greatest cause of death, ages 18 to 35 in the United States. And uh, he touched on that with the, with the end of Title 42 going away as part of the campaign uh, pregame. And for the first time in 12 months, we lost 100,000 Americans due to opioid overdoses. Oof. Raise your hand if you've known somebody who's died from one. That is a tragedy upon our nation. A lot of people raise their hands. And the cost of fentanyl because of Joe's open border policy is now 50% less because of the flood of drugs over our border. Fact. And when Joe takes out Fort Title 42, he's admitted we are going to have a massive influx of individuals and drugs, and the opioid epidemic will hit our streets like never before. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an impeachable offense. We're going to get into that narrative a little that bit later on the show. That is putting our country's cities and streets to death. You know, um, the whole opioid epidemic is now, there, there's like a new element to it. We see a lot more people overdosing on drugs that aren't fentanyl turn out to be laced with it. Yeah, it's, or mixed it's with just it. the, uh, it's the secret ingredient now of the uh, secret sauce. Mm, I mean, we saw some Division One college football players not too long ago on spring break, in addition to a handful, I believe, of Marines mm -hmm. were partying, uh, you know, pretty standard, just regular Coke party strippers, beer. Like you do. Typical. Uh, but then you throw fentanyl into the mix and we got six overdoses and, and six young Americans who almost died uh, unknowingly. So pretty uh, pretty scary stuff. Um, well, it's like when you start throwing fentanyl just in any given type of, you know, fake pharmaceutical, real pharmaceutical, anything like that, it gets super scary because, you know, there's a lot of people that they may not be abusing hard drugs, but they may be, you know, just doing a little pills here and there on on the on the weekends, mm. and they're gonna get nailed with it. Because I mean, especially if you don't have any tolerance for something like that. I agree. Somebody's experimenting, trying something out for the first time. Boom, done. Especially for I don't think our you know our listenership may be in tune to how small of a, of a dose of fentanyl it could take to kill an average person, especially one with no tolerance built up. Yeah, I mean it's like a granule of salt, maybe. If that, yeah, that's crazy. You know what's not crazy. And who is a orgy non-enjoyer? Oop. Doesn't like coke-fueled parties either, or wife swaps. North Carolina Representative Madison Cawthorn, Hot Wheels himself, was there. He gave a powerful speech, not just because of the words, but as he was delivering it, rolling back and forth on stage, he had had enough. He needed to really address the audience eye to eye. In came the crutches. Oh, wow. And he stood at the podium to deliver the back end of this speech. Let's hear it. We're seeing our greatness ripped away from us. We're seeing just how bad our country can be. We're seeing gas at five, up to $7 a gallon. My friends, this country can change very quickly. 
And it may seem impossible, people tell me that it's impossible to change the direction of our country, that it's impossible to root out the corruption in our government. Oh, I missed it. What happened? Stand it up. Oh, they sat down again? He got out of his wheelchair and got crutched. Oh. But my friends, God spared my life. He has given me the strength to stand before you today. So do not lecture me on what is impossible. Nice. My fellow patriots, Americans are in the business of doing the impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. Not bad. Yeah. I liked it. I thought he was already standing when I looked over at the video you were playing. Mm, no, he was uh, rolling back and forth. Kind of even talking points to both ends of the stage, but then figured, just going to do it like a big boy. Yep. Handled it well. I like it. As did we. Um, and then it was time for the main event. Uh, Donald Trump took the stage. There were those in the fake news media who had claimed that the attendance at these rallies were shrinking. Mm-hmm. Um, much to the chagrin of 40,000 patriots on hand. Listen, you're not going to get 80, 90,000 at every one. Every place isn't Texas either. Nah. A lot of people would consider North Carolina a purple state, and it's one of the weirdest ones in the union right now. You know, they'll have a Democratic governor and, and across the board Republican Congress people or vice versa. They'll have a really strong Republican governor and then they'll have some random ass liberal senator for a while. It's just, you know, there's there's a a, a huge working class element and, and middle class element in North Carolina. But there's also an enormous illegal component there. And I'm sure they factor into the voting at the end of the day. How dare me? Mm. Um, well, Donald Trump got it right into it. Talked about the surrender parade that this administration has been from day one. Uh, let's get into the rally components right now and see some of the uh, highlights he was hitting over the weekend. Administration has been one disgraceful surrender after another, starting with the catastrophic way in which we withdrew from Afghanistan. Was that the lowest point in our history? With dead and horribly wounded soldiers leaving American citizens as hostages, surrendering Bagram Air Base to China. China has it. We were going to keep it. It cost billions and billions of dollars to build many years ago, one hour away from where China makes their nuclear weapons, and we gave it away. And of course, giving away famously $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. We gave it to the Taliban. 700,000 rifles, machine guns, guns of all 700,000. Listen to this one, though. 70,000 trucks, 70,000. Is there a car company in the country that has 70,000 cars, trucks? What do you think, Ted? I don't think so, right? I don't think so. 70,000. And many of them armor-plated, costing millions of dollars, millions of dollars. Now Biden is continuing his surrender parade, begging Iran to re-enter the disastrous nuclear deal that I terminated very proudly and very powerfully. So, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday who's who's pretty well connected. He's formerly the Heritage Foundation and, and did some collaborative work with both like the 9-11 Commission and let's say some of our highest intelligence agencies across the land when he served. Mm-hmm. There was a huge 
And everybody knew about it, about how the Taliban, when they came back in, was going to have to really start figuring out ways to legitimately conduct business across the world because all of their stuff, essentially from the 80s and 90s, was about to age out. And we're talking trucks, armored personnel carriers. They had no air game. They now have dozens of Blackhawks. Um, and with the help of the Chinese and Pakistan, believe me, they're going to be able to not only fuel them, but use them. Yeah. Um, in addition to Bagram Air Force Base, which is the greatest nuclear strategic uh, takeoff site in the region, which can address multiple fronts in the Middle East and Eastern Europe um, and the Far East beyond. And, and it's just you can't really forget about how important of an absolute disaster that was. Um it was, it was during that moment where we lost contact with a lot of our historical allies. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can't go and just erase a president's legacy as part of your campaign platform every four years because of what it does on, like, a global stage. You know, pe- places like China, where Xi Jinping's essentially an emperor, even though he's, you know, president in title, places where there are real royalty— like Saudi Arabia has the king mm-hmm. and, and UAE and places like that. It's probably really weird to them to see like literally on January 19th, there's a policy. And on January 21st, that policy is executively ordered out of existence and it affects communication, collaboration, trade, money, energy on all levels. And, and, and sometimes they just do it. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure Joe Biden didn't call people to check in with them and to be like, Hey, you know, like just a heads up. Yeah. The Abrams accord or any longstanding trade deals. They were, you know, Saudi Arabia was buying like $38 billion in defense weaponry. They went and got it somewhere else. So it's, it's one of those things, you know, Donald Trump harps on like the generic big picture part of it, but there's so many more, listen, there's a reason why countries aren't picking up the phone when Joe Biden calls anymore. And a lot of it has to do with what happened in Afghanistan. You know, we turned the Taliban into the ninth largest military in the world. Well, and then the danger of that, too, when you when you take it into consideration, like, all this stuff that's just out in the ether now. You know, there's arms dealers that are taking advantage of this. And now anywhere in the world that, I mean, granted, the military leaves a lot of shit everywhere. But we left a lot of stuff that was way more modern than the past we left laying around. At least, you know, when we leave stuff in general before, we'd destroy it, mm-hmm. sell it to somebody who was on our team, what have you. But now it's like no matter where we operate in the world, now you have to consider that this Humvee coming at us might not really be ours. Right. And Oh, you make you make an accurate point. And not only that, talk about reverse uh reverse technology component to uh you know, you have China and Pakistan right there. They're two of our biggest non friends. Mm-hmm. And now they have all of that stuff to do whatever they want with, you know. Well, just the reverse engineering of it too, finding weaknesses in, you know, our attack helicopters and things of that nature. It's just like, holy shit. Yeah. And then moving forward, building their stuff better. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, it it was, there's so many different levels to it. And and the ripple effect from that is, is just mind boggling. So we'll, we'll, we'll continue to, uh, highlight that stuff. And as more information comes in that helps us paint a clearer picture for you, we'll be sure to, to try and break it down with commentary. He jumped from there into the Ukraine, uh, conflict that's going on right now. And even gave a little bit of a green energy spin on it. Let's hear it. I'm good. We've driven the price of oil up so high, the highest in the history of oil. And it's a <laughs> disgrace. They're pleading also with the Venezuelan dictator to sell us oil. 
think of that one. So they want oil from Venezuela now when we have it right under our feet. It's called liquid gold. We're sitting on liquid gold and That's we're going to buy it from yeah. Venezuela and other countries. And we have it under our feet. Remember, energy independent. We had so much. We would have been double the size of Russia and Russia, Saudi Russia. Arabia put together yep. within one year. It's a far cry from the Trump administration when we were totally energy independent and gasoline was costing less than $2 a gallon. Remember those days of a year and a half ago, $1.87 a gallon for a car. Now, you know what everyone's saying? Let's buy a smaller car, darling. We don't like this big car anymore. We don't want a truck. We want a tiny little car, as little as it can be. <laughs> Long before Ukraine, Biden sent gas prices soaring with the fringe left-wing energy policies inspired by the socialist joke known as the Green New Deal. Windmills. Windmills. We want windmills all over. <laughs> Fucking windmills. Yeah, he came, uh, he came ready to go. Um, he switched gears right there and, and talked to, uh, started getting into the midterm election stuff. You know, the, these are, these events are supposedly four people. Um, I, I think the big one there was the senatorial race with, uh, Ted Budd, who critics are saying is running kind of a vanilla campaign and needed some hot Trump endorsement injected into it to kind of pick it up a little bit because in a race... a little Fifty Shades of MAGA. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> because, of, you know, of, of the campaign of pillars that are that are made up of his platform, you would think that he'd, he'd be head and shoulders above, but he's very dry and uh, Ted Bud-like. So let's hear him talk about uh, the current state of the Senate at the moment. Against the second that... Bad oil and high prices, and if you look at people that are against the Second Amendment, you can't have guns to protect yourself, against God, against so much. Sanctuary cities, they want sanctuary cities. They want high taxes. They want to, they want to double and triple your taxes. I happen to think that they don't really have a 50-50 party with the Republicans. I think they do because they cheat like hell. <laughs> because there's no way. You go to Texas, they're against God, against guns, and against oil. And then I hear, oh, it's going to be close. Well, actually, we won a landslide, okay? But, you know, they say it's going to be close. You know why they said it's going to be close? Because if they can find enough votes, millions of votes, if they can find it, the people won't be so shocked if they can pull it out. No, I just think that uh, we have to clean it up. And I think Ted Budd is going to do a lot in that regard. I think it's one of his big issues. Yeah, it certainly is. Election integrity is, is one of the things he's focused on. And I like that. But... Uh, at the same time, that wasn't the most controversial endorsement of the day. Um, even though he's running in Pennsylvania and not really something that identifies what I would say an overwhelming majority of our listenership, Donald Trump decided to on stage endorse Dr. Oz. The same, huh? yeah, the same Dr. Oz who is friends with all of the Hollywood elites like Oprah. Um, who has called, uh, well, theorized that they could weaponize the CDC to better control guns. Mm. Someone who used to be pro-choice now claims to be pro-life and uh, was supportive of a lot of the COVID stuff in the beginning. 
wasn't included on Donald Trump's like COVID panels to save America. Um, so yeah, let's hear him. And then we're going to unpack this a little bit, take like a little pause in the middle of the uh, rally here to kind of break it down for you guys. By the way, I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. Great guy, a good man, He's a good man, Harvard educated, tremendous, tremendous career, and they liked him for a long time. That's like a poll. You know, when you're in television for 18 years, that's like a poll. That means people like you, but he's a, he's a great guy. This is the year we're going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate, and we're going to take back America, and in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our beautiful, beautiful, beautiful White House. Let's not get caught up on on, on that <laughs> part, because Noah always thinks that one's funny. I don't know why it's... <laughs> you know, they, they have been friends for a really long time, but we've seen this before. Donald Trump was a friend was friends with a lot of people in, in the main Donald Trump was friends with Oprah. Donald mm-hmm. Trump was friends with Al Sharpton. Um, Donald Trump was friends with the Clintons and a lot of people. And look what they did to him. And uh, I hope he's probably learned from past mistakes. But we also know, again, if you haven't checked out our, our last two sub stacks, they are extremely informative and tied directly into this whole endorsement narrative and where they're coming from and who's pushing them and why. Um, I don't think this is at the behalf of Mitch McConnell because Donald Trump is done with him. As far as the Senate, there there should be new leadership after the midterm elections. The House is is kind of different. I don't want to call it a black pill, but the way the numbers stack up, here's the black and white in House representatives. Andrew McCarthy through three quarters has raised $104 million, which is just about half of Donald Trump's total war chest. Mm -hmm. He ain't going anywhere. No. Sorry to say. Um, unless the red wave that comes in is like Steve Bannon says, a hundred seats for a hundred years, then we'd have a fighting chance numbers wise. But here's the thing. After talking to some real DC insiders who are directly tied to not only the Trump campaign, but his inner circle, there's nobody in the house of representatives that wants to stand up and challenge that leadership because of what happens to them if they don't win. Yeah. They get fucked. We're talking about the Jim Banks. We're talking about the Jim Jordan, et cetera. You might have a Rick Scott to be able to overtake Mitch McConnell. He set up a pretty decent money apparatus of fundraising abilities around the nation over the last couple of years. And then he promoted his 11-point plan to save America, which is all of the Donald Trump campaign pl- pillars that he's kind of uh, laid out there over the last five years. So I- I'd like to see change in, this, in the Senate. House of Representatives, we're going to have to see what happens. There was some disturbing language that came out from Kevin McCarthy over the weekend, and, and we're going to get into that later. But as far as the Dr. Oz thing goes, you know, massive pushback from the base. From the MAGA base, from the MAGA posse, from everybody that loves steak for breakfast, you know, and, and all shows of those that nature, they, on social media, saying, this is the last straw, this is why I'm done, who the fuck's directing this stuff? Again, I just, I ask you to go back and, and check out our, our latest sub stacks because it gives you a lot of insight onto what's going on. But uh, I saw Liz Harrington was jumping on with uh, OAN over the weekend, or actually yesterday, which was Monday night, and uh, she she was breaking this down a little bit, and, and I want you guys to be able to hear just exactly what the reasoning is behind it. Let's hear what's coming out of Trump world right now. This weekend in Selma, Dr. Oz is now Trump endorsed. You know, he's a very interesting player in all this. He used to be pro-choice, he's now pro-life, comes from a Turkish-American background, Harvard grad, 
advocated for a stronger integrity of our elections, so forth. Uh, so he's a great pick for Pennsylvania. And what I love about him the most, he says that he cannot be bought. That's something different from what we see from Democrats. Well, it certainly is, and especially when you look at what has happened to our election system. I mean, really, it's both parties that have uh, seemingly been bought off. And, you know, this was a choice that President Trump made. He's known uh, Dr. Oz for a very long time, many, many years. And in the end, that's uh, the choice that he made. He feels very strongly about his chances of victory. And this is, make no mistake, these midterms are so critical. The state of Pennsylvania is so critical. We have to win back uh, these states that we know are very red. They are MAGA country, and they were stolen away from us. So it's very important to get uh, people that can win and will win uh, in November. President Trump, you know, he he takes his endorsement very seriously. And at the end of the day, it's ultimately his decision. And he sees the candidates uh, who he thinks have the best opportunity to win, uh, who have the best policies. And this is the choice he made here. We also saw Ted uh, Budd in North Carolina, North Carolina this weekend. Uh, great night for him. I think this will really give him momentum as well. A lot of Trump-endorsed candidates, a lot of excitement in that crowd. And we're certainly looking forward uh, to the primaries and then the midterms. So, you know, for someone who usually comes out guns ablazing and full of confidence, Liz Harrington didn't sound all that comfortable in ask, ask, answering the question after the host, who was a guest host in for Natalie Harp yesterday, sounded kind of uneasy asking her about it. Yeah, a little subdued. Um, I don't know. What do you think? One of the things that I kind of read between the lines there was like Donald Trump is now going to endorse people that he knows can win in November. Are we compromising part of the America First agenda to do that, though? Yeah, I mean, if if they're not somebody who's going to be 100% on board for the team, it doesn't really matter if they win because they're just going to stab him in the back later on anyway. I'll admit Romney, yep. you know, Susan Collins, and uh, Lisa Murkowski. You know, if, if you just line them up on paper, you, you say you want to get a Donald. Listen, at the end of the day, here's the way I'm looking at it. Dr. Oz, endorsed by Donald Trump. Eric Greitens, to this point, still not. Yeah, weird. Very weird. And I know Eric Greitens has had some stuff going on, but he's overcome an overwhelming majority of that to gain popularity in the polls in a state that is a must win for an America First candidate. You know, when it comes to like the energy sector, the coal and gas sector there, and, and the blue collar workers of a place like Missouri, plus they have a huge military component mm -hmm. and families there. You have to have someone who's really dialed into the base like Eric Greitens is. And, you know, it goes along the lines of the stuff like we said on this show when it comes to like the Mike Collins, the Robbie Starbucks, the Anthony Sabatini's, the Greitens, etc. These guys are such class acts that continue to rise above the corporate bullshit and publicity stunts that are sometimes these endorsements to continue to look like they want to represent us, the actual base of the party after the midterm elections. So I guess you could take, you know, confidence in that and uh, kind of a little different spin the way we do the rallies, but I wanted to be able to add that component there to kind of hear what the official press release from Trump world was going to be following some pushback on social media, which I know they saw. He would segue there. Um, to talk about some of the things that have gone on recently in the news, most notably Friday, uh, the, the Governor Whitmer fednapping trial, as we're calling it now. Oh, who loves a good fednapping? I, I know should. I do. Yeah, who doesn't? And uh, he, he touched based on that and, and then segued on, and, and I'm going to play the clips back to back right on some of the things regarding January 6th. And then the quite famous Michigan trial where people were supposedly going to kidnap the very unpopular governor 
And it sounded very strange to a lot of people. Two were just found not guilty and two others ended in a hung jury. So there's something going on down there. There's something going on. There certainly is. And it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it's, it's, you have to be able to really break down what was going on there. And uh, with that Michigan case, and hopefully we'll be seeing some of the same stuff on January 6th. Here's him touching on it directly after that. And we will, while we're at it, demand justice for the January 6th prisoners and full protection of their civil rights, like was received by Antifa and Black Lives Matter, who murdered people throughout our country. And as you probably have heard, one of the first January 6th trials ended in an extortion, and it was a horrible thing what they were doing to people, but there was exoneration because they effectively proved that he got waved into the Capitol by the police. Saw that last week. Got him. Remember this, Nancy Pelosi was in charge of the Capitol. You know that, right? And the mayor of D.C., they were in charge of all security in the Capitol. Remember also that they were offered three days before on January 3rd, 10,000 soldiers or National Guard to protect the Capitol. They turned it down. If they would have accepted that, they're in charge of it. If they, and we offered it. If they would have accepted that, there would have been no January 6th as we know it. As we and in know the, it. Quite famous Michigan trial where people were supposedly going to kidnap the very unpopular governor. Well, we've already listened to a portion of that, so we'll keep it moving along. What do you think about him talking about some of those uh, protections and, and civil rights being upheld for, for J6ers? Well, I mean, it's it doesn't matter what team you play for. If you don't see the bright contrast of how one side was treated versus the other— mm-hmm. I mean, okay, federal courthouse, federal building, wandering around through velvet ropes. Maybe a couple windows got broken by, most likely by feds. Mm -hmm. Burning down an actual police station here in California, Uh right? Uh I mean, and in Portland. And in Portland. Literally trying to barricade people inside a building to kill them and burn them. Uh I'm not really seeing. The connection? Well, I'm not really seeing the uh, the scales of justice really, you know, falling too far on the people that were uh, so-called insurrectionists. Mm. Do we have a thing for that now? No, we don't. Damn it. Um, we've already seen one of the J6 defendants commit suicide. Mm. We've also hosted two of them in consecutive weeks. Well, we- and they're literally, like... They're being, like, mentally tortured. These guys have, were both accused of starting... Both of them, without even knowing each other, has said they have been accused of starting, initiating, leading whatever happened on January 6th. And they don't even know each other. They don't even know each other. So you're saying that it was an orchestrated effort. They're just trying to see whatever sticks. No, we're, but, like, they're, yeah. they're saying this was an orchestrated effort, and yet the people that they're saying are the fucking masterminds don't even know each other. No. No. Good job. Guess what? Both of them were 25-year-old kids as well who well, were not 25-year-olds on January 6th. Maybe they thought they could have confused them and, you know, like, oh, you're right. I am a mastermind. No. And, and for all of the Proud Boys and 3%ers and all the other ones who have already admitted to coordinating within themselves 
to do something on January 6th. We see nothing in regards to actual patriots who went out there to peacefully and, and verbally, you know, protest the uh, results of the 2020 presidential election, as Donald Trump asked them to do. Uh, he would then segue down to the issues that we're about to have on the southwest border with Biden's decision to end Title 42. Let's hear it. Of all the many catastrophes Biden has unleashed, perhaps none is more horrendous than his ruthless abolition of America's borders. Remember the border? We had the strongest border in the history of our country a year and a half ago. By the way, time is flying. You know, we used to say four years, then three years. Now, the other day, I heard him say two and a half years. Two and a half years doesn't sound so bad. Four years sounded like a long time. The problem is, Mark, are we going to have a country left? Two and a half years is still long because the destruction they've done in this uh, short time is unthinkable. With last week's announcement that the Biden administration will rescind the crucial Title 42 protections that I put into place to quickly remove illegal aliens. That's to remove the illegal aliens and very, very quickly. And even the fake news knows that one was a good one. That's a lot of people back there. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome, fake news. Welcome. Biden is willfully opening the floodgates to a tidal wave of illegal immigration, the likes of which the world has never seen before. No country, no country has this ever happened to. He's deliberately inciting a mob of millions and millions of foreign nationals to illegally infiltrate America's borders, violate our laws, trample our sovereignty, and settle in our country. Frankly, it's an invasion. You can call it whatever you want, but this is an invasion, just like an army would invade another country. You know, we've heard some of our our biggest and most nationally known candidates um, Carrie Lake comes to mind. Um, Senator Mastriano, who's running for governor in Pennsylvania, also comes to mind. Some of some of the stronger senatorial candidates, Jim Lehman and Blake Masters in Arizona, even Eric Greitens, who, who's you know been on the ground and and done some real work in and around the Mexican border uh, with some of our federal agencies. The language f- for invasion, uh, it, it, there there are some components of of states on the southern border's constitution that allows them to do certain things when they identify it as that. And that's uh, arrest, detain, deport, fortify, mm-hmm. use military presence, and up to and including lethal force. We have to remember, our brave men and women who serve along the southern border are shot at on a constant basis. It's not continuous, but the smugglers take pot shots at them all the time. Yeah, you always and, hear stories about that. And we've seen some videos of, of tracer fire down in the Del Rio sector. We've seen Jorge Ventura, who was ran up to by a coyote who with a gun had a gun right in his face and told me get the fuck out of there. He had the sweet belt loop holster going on. Yeah, he did not made by trending on Narcos. <laughs> Definitely not made by any of our sponsors. No, it wasn't stay ready gear by any. <laughs> so then there wouldn't be a Donald Trump on it either. Uh, but, uh, well, maybe the Donald Trump kissy face. Yeah. But you know, it's one of those things. And, and let, let's be honest from all the people we've been able to talk to who are active down there, whether they're running a political campaign or they're, uh, you know, working on behalf of a news agency. Title 42 essentially is a Band-Aid. 
it's not like everyone that was crossing the border over the last, like, since 2019 was being apprehended and because of Title 42 was being deported. Donald Trump makes it sound better than it was, but it was a component to slow down and stem and use it as a deterrent to the big globs of people that were coming up here. Well, deterrent is the only thing we have because once they're here, you have to deal with them. Like, there's no... Our asylum laws are of, of such that, you know, once they actually come and claim asylum, they have to be heard. But if you can make people not really want to risk it because it the, the benefit outweighs the risk, mm-hmm. you know, or the benefit uh, does not outweigh the risk, mm-hmm. then it seems like it'd be more to our advantage just to have more of the, uh, of those type of things going on than just, just willy-nilly just like, hey, guess what? Don't come. Don't don't come. I'm, it's I'm, too late. I'm going to tell you right now about what to do with the southern border. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of his best ones. Yeah. That's don't. Cool. No, but it's it's true. And and right now, you know, I, I again, I was having this conversation yesterday with someone who's pretty well connected in, in, in the Beltway, and they were talking about the end of Title 42 and the border policy. And they told me, don't even go on that because it's not even really a thing. What you need to understand is, regardless of who wins the midterm elections, how they handle the border from there on moving forward, and whoever wins the presidency in 2024, fact of the matter is, by the end of this fiscal year, including getaways, there's going to be 4.5 million people plus who have been admitted into this country illegally, essentially given like a piece of paper and a Galaxy 7 and said, maybe we'll see you in a few months, wherever you go, if you want. None of those people are being deported. And some of these people that are being given these uh, court dates in the future, mm-hmm. however long in the future that may be, have already basically shown their intentions by coming in, committing fraud, hiding in the trunk of a car, you name it. Oh, are you saying like people that have been previously removed from the United States are coming back and claiming economic asylum or something worse? Yeah, that seems like the, something that would happen, Sounds- given the free-for-all we have going on. But these are good people. These are the best and brightest. The doctors and lawyers? And engineers. Can't forget them. Well, I mean, the doctors don't like to be in the trunk, I don't think, so much. What about the dashboard? Dashboard, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a center console. Because you would need to perform auto surgery to get them out. Right. <laughs> but, you know, like I was saying, over 4.5 million people, including getaways, are are, are going to be into this country by the end the of this fiscal year. Yaws of life? Mm. Only if you're going to yak in the box after. <laughs> None of them are being deported. Yeah. They're all staying. They're here to stay. They're either in the wind or they're going to become, in whatever facet they decide, contributing or lack thereof, members of society. But they aren't going anywhere. They're going to be affecting all of the middle class jobs, jobs for blacks, jobs for Asians, jobs for Latinos. They're going to add to destabilizing crime and the abundance of it that's happening in all the major cities across the United States, they're going to directly affect the education system. 4.5 million people injected into here where you have students who don't speak. Remember, we're not just talking about Mexican people. Mexican people are the, are the least of our worries and probably the least amount of people who cross now yeah. along the southern border all across the four states that are affected. We're talking about people from up to 119 different countries who don't speak English, who have no... Um, yeah, you got to figure that people in Mexico are starting like used car lots and having businesses <laughs> like busing people around. I heard it's quite lucrative. Yeah. Um, but but they're going to be getting into your education systems now, and you're going to be forced to find teachers who can either, um, you know, assist them in in learning in whatever comp- component they can, or and your children are going to have to 
slow to the level of the weakest link. Yep. Larger or, class sizes, yeah. uh, language barriers and stuff like that. There are so many different things that this has affected. And it's like almost with the Russia-Ukraine war narrative right now. I saw a poll on Fox News this morning. 63% of, of people that were polled across all demographics of voter platforms are currently bored with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. <laughs> and they're not tuning in to check in on it anymore on TV. That's because it's like uh, like when, when you consider like war footage, it's mm-hmm. like blue balls. It's like, there's nothing happening. Right. There's nothing like, where's the, where's the stuff we saw in desert storm and you know, all the other stuff, like nothing. I mean, a we, couple of like videos that cell phone videos of some Ukrainian troops, misidentifying a tank and getting vaporized and some video game footage, hot video so, game footage. <laughs> so it, it, it's pretty silly. Hopefully somebody get the high score at least. Just like the last recent part of Nancy Pelosi's political career has been, and what Donald Trump plans on ending after the midterms. Let's hear it. Thank you, Selma. We love to be in Selma, and we've had some great experiences here, and we've had a great victory here. It's tremendous. I'm thrilled to be back in the great state of North Carolina with thousands of proud, hardworking American patriots. Seven months from now, the people of North Carolina are going to vote to fire the radical left Democrats. You're going to send the very great man. He's a great man. I've known him a long time. He's a tremendous person. Ted Budd to the U.S. Senate. Thank you, Ted. You're going to elect an incredible slate of true America first Republicans. Up and down the ballot you will go, and together we are going to end crazy Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. I like it. She is crazy. The stakes this November could not be higher. Biden and the Congressional Democrats Hmm. triggered runaway inflation. The supply chain disaster, how about that? You go to a store, you don't have anything on the shelves. Whoever even heard of it? They declared war on American energy, and now the middle class is being crushed by the highest gas and food prices in the history of our country. Violent criminals are being set loose in Democrat-run cities to prey on innocent citizens. There's never been anything like the crime that we're witnessing in the Democrat-run cities. While radical left judges persecute Republicans and hold political prisoners without trial, our children are being indoctrinated, our values are being desecrated, our heritage is being obliterated, and our country is being humiliated by a president who has no idea what the hell is going on. He has no idea what she's doing and no idea what he's saying, actually, just have to look at what's happening. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, was, that was kind of the meat and potatoes of it. I did take time out of my busy schedule to head over to the Right Side Broadcasting Network app and nice. download the end of the rally, which is always our favorite. So let's conclude our, our coverage of it with uh, hearing the outro. In conclusion, our MAGA movement is by far the greatest political movement in the history of our country. And nobody can say otherwise, even the fake news can't say anything differently. (laughs) Together we are standing up against some of the most sinister forces, entrenched interests, and vicious opponents our people have ever witnessed or seen. 
But no matter how big or powerful these corrupt radicals may be, you must never forget this nation does not belong to them. This nation belongs to you. This is your home. This is your heritage. And our American liberty is your God-given right. This state, this is a great state, was forged by some of the toughest men and some of the strongest women ever to walk the face of the earth. Our American ancestors were backcountry farmers, woodsmen, and craftsmen who poured their love into this land with their families and all of their friends. Incredible what they've done. And they were bold pioneers and frontier settlers who climbed the mountains, tamed the wilderness, and kept on pushing west, west, west. <laughs> and above all, they were proud citizens, fiercely independent North Carolina men and women who blazed their own trail and took orders from nobody. It was hardworking patriots like you who built this country, and it is hardworking patriots like you who are going to save our country. We're not going to let our country be destroyed by lunatics. We are going to fight for America like no one has ever fought before. We will not let radical left people that don't love our country or rhinos. We have bad rhinos, too. We have some sick sick, stupid, weak people take away from us what has been so brilliantly forged over nearly 250 years. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot meet. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never, ever, ever, ever back down. Ooh, North Carolina. Ever this week. Wow. As long as we are confident and united, the tyrants we are fighting do not stand even a little chance. Because we are Americans, and Americans kneel to God and God alone. My fellow citizens, this incredible journey we are on together has only just begun. And it is time to start talking about greatness for our country again. Greatness. We don't talk about greatness anymore. You never hear the word greatness. We talk about the environment, and we all want a clean environment. We talk about race, and we want great race relations. We talk about many other things, but we never talk about greatness for our country. We want to make our country great again. Right now, our country's a laughing stock all over the world. They don't even return the phone calls of our president. We've never been in a position like this. Our country has never been scorned the way it is or disrespected. We're going to change it because we are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious American nation. And so with the help of everyone here today and citizens all across our land, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. 
We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you, North Carolina. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's been rolling out with that one for uh, the Save America rallies that he's been holding for the last two months, I think, since February. And uh, like I said, well-received. There were some ups and downs. He definitely used some new pitch to his voice and the way he uh, hit some of those highs and lows of of the normal parts of his speech, not going off the cuff. And uh, like we said, you know, you take the Dr. Oz thing for what it is, uh, definitely a lot of red flags. We see some of the major influencers. I I think Raheem and Jack Posobiec have both been – hammering them up and down all across social medias. You know, we've been sharing a lot of their content just so everybody makes an informed decision before they go to the ballot box in uh, Pennsylvania in November. You know, we got the midterm coming up there, I believe, next month. Or, I'm sorry, the um, primary coming up there next month. And uh, we've already had Carla Sands on the show. You know, you've heard her whole platform, former Trump appointee, ambassador to Denmark, and probably just as qualified, if not more, than Dr. Oz, with a little bit more of has already done MAGA in her resume. So, you know, we'll just have to see, maybe, maybe they're going to have some debates there and, and people will be able to make a better, more informed decision. But, uh, someone who we can't wait to make an informed decision on is someone who's running to represent the great state of Missouri in the Senate, Eric Greitens, and he's going to be joining us right now. All right. Jumping in first with us today, we're getting an update from the campaign trail. One of the busiest men working right now in the senatorial races across the country. He is the former governor of Missouri, Navy SEAL, one of our favorites, Mr. Eric Greitens. Thanks for joining us back on steak for breakfast. Hey, it is good to be back on Steak for Breakfast, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Yeah, it's always our pleasure to host you, sir. So how's the campaign trail been treating you? We had some good updates last time, and uh, it seems like things are going even well-er now. Weller? Yeah. (laughs) They are super, super strong, man. You know, Winston Churchill uh, used to say, if you stand up for anything in life, you are going to have enemies. And the beautiful thing about where we are at right now is that we've stood up to the left, we've stood up to the mainstream media, we've stood up to the rhino establishment. They are all coming after us. And in every single case, MAGA patriots of the America First movement around the state of Missouri are standing up and defeating them. Uh, The latest really good news is that your listeners might remember I had a George Soros-funded prosecutor who attacked me, created a false case against me, and she hired a corrupt former FBI agent to create a false case against me. He was charged with seven felonies for perjury and evidence tampering. He pled guilty. Just on Monday, just yesterday, she admitted to wrongdoing after lying about this for four years over 70 instances of perjury. She lied to the judge. She lied to the jury. She lied to her own team. She lied to the investigator who was investigating her lies. So we're moving through all of that. And perhaps best of all, she was ordered by the Missouri Supreme Court to turn over all of her communications with George Soros and George Soros Associates, along with the nasty rhinos who she worked with. She's turning it all over to the investigative reporter, John Solomon, who you guys know was one of the guys who blew the lid off the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. So the good news is the truth comes to light. 
All of your listeners, Patriots, you stay strong, you keep fighting, and eventually we are going to beat these guys and take our country back. That sounds like it's going to be a movie plot someday. Oh, yes. We know a really good movie director. We should direct you to Amanda Milius because uh, she's put out a couple bangers so far. and uh, She's incredible. I, I Let me put in a plug for that. I tell everybody, everybody in Missouri who comes up to me and is like, man, I can't believe what they did to President Trump, etc. I tell them, watch the plot against the president. Watch Amanda's movie. It's absolutely extraordinary. And when people see it, they obviously recognize the extraordinary depth of the deep state's misconduct in their attacks on President Trump, General Flynn, etc. She did an amazing job on that movie. Yeah, she sure did. We can't wait for a couple of her next ones coming out. She's working on the John McAfee project right now, and she said she's got, uh, I think, six or eight coming out in the next three years. My only question is, how would you feel about Cash Patel playing a live-action version of Eric Greitens in the movie? Because <laughs> apparently he's going to be the star of every documentary moving forward. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you know, hey, as long as as long as we we get him get him the right the right kit, you know, the right right stuff he needs, well, I'm sure he'd do a great job. Yeah. So so all Condor from Amazon then. <laughs> no, <laughs> stop it, uh, Governor. You know, you, you brought up that update, and, and it's what you piggybacked off of last time we were on our show. You know, it's one of the things that our listenership really. We, we hear a lot of stuff on our social medias and our inbox fills up with like, how could this happen? How could this happen? You just brought up the plot against the president. Now, some of these things that are going on not only affected you when you were the governor of Missouri, uh, they rolled right into, you know, the, the uh, start of your campaign for, for Senate right now. And uh, these are some of the slings and arrows you've had to take on behalf of the movement. And uh, it seems like you're coming out strong. But how hard has it been to kind of have to wake up every day and not just worry about, knocking on doors, making phone calls, hanging signs, and speaking to the constituents of Missouri, the hardworking blue-collar men and women out there. It's it's all the other junk that you shouldn't have to deal with that a majority of the other candidates don't have to deal with, that they felt like you're such a threat and so strong of a conveyor of the MAGA movement that you're going to uh, you know, really make some noise when you get up there on Capitol Hill, and therefore they've chose to uh, choose you as one of the people they like to make up stuff about. Yeah, brother, that that's exactly right. That's why they do it, because... They can't beat us on the issues, right? I go toe-to-toe with them on election integrity. I went down to Maricopa County twice to see the audit down there. We talk about what's happening in Georgia, what's happening in Wisconsin. They can't beat us on election integrity. We've pushed for the truth to come out about January 6th. And again, the rhinos aren't willing to go there. I went down to the Mexican border myself, not just to the American side, to the Mexican side to expose the corruption of Joe Biden's open border policies. They know that I'm an extraordinarily strong advocate who's exposed what's happened with their defund the police movement. And they know that when I am in office, we're going to actually investigate the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, Hillary Clinton, the fact that they spied on President Trump's campaign, spied on him when he was in office. We're going to investigate Anthony Fauci, etc. So the fact is, I represent a threat to the establishment and the left. They can't beat us on the issues. So what do they do? They do what tyrannical governments have always done throughout history is that they make up false accusations and they attack people. You know, Joseph Stalin's head of the secret police once said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Mm. 
meaning that what the Soviets did was that they picked people who are a threat to the regime and then they went and they charged them with crimes. Mao did the same thing in China. Pol Pot did the same thing in Cambodia. This is straight out of the playbook of tyranny. And frankly, I'm honored by the fact that they come after me every single day. I was telling a buddy just last week, I said, if I live a really, really good life, if I live a good life, that means that every week for the next 50 years, there's gonna be somebody on the left, somebody who's part of the establishment who's attacking me. It's a signal to the world and it's a signal to patriots around the country that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, you make a whole lot of sense there and then you've outlined some of the definitely... uh chronicled times in history where you saw leaderships and, and dictatorships kind of do the same thing. And, uh, you know, you've been all over the world. You've experienced so much things as a student in the military. I know you, you, you worked in a lot of uh, foreign aid and outreach. It's just your resume is so robust. You, you, you've seen it all. One of the things we're seeing right now is the fact that a lot of people are starting to realize that we don't have a sovereign foreign policy in the United States anymore. It seems like not only the pressure from like the lobby groups and the special interests, which have helped shape, you know, everything over the past couple of decades is now starting to like really receive some big global interest. You know, it could be the world economic forum and, the, and those guys, it could be, you know, maybe being compromised to China and places like that. But it's kind of scary to see, uh, you know, leadership around the world is starting to understand that every four years you can pretty much erase the administration that was there before that. And, and, it's not like that in other countries, even places like China, like they have the Silk Road Initiative in their constitution and it makes it so if there's ever a leadership change, at least some of the longstanding policies, which, well, it doesn't really benefit their people, but benefits their government could stay in place. And, and, you know, we see places like Saudi Arabia and UAE now no longer picking up the phone, collaborating with some of our longstanding enemies now with like Iran and Russia. And it's, it's very not only problematic, but scary. As someone who's seen it all, what do you think is part of the reason behind this and what can we do to kind of make sure that it doesn't happen? Because it seems like, you know, America's losing its opportunity to be the beacon of light for the rest of the world. And it's based off of like getting back at your political enemies every time the uh, president of the United States changes. Yes. It's such an important point. Well, I'll, I'll say this, look, I, I did before I joined the SEAL teams, I worked, I worked in Bosnia during the ethnic cleansing there. I worked in the refugee camps. I worked in Rwanda in the refugee camp shortly after the genocide. I've worked in Cambodia with kids who lost limbs from landmines. I worked in Albania at a time when refugees were coming down uh, from Kosovo. And of course, you know, served in Iraq, served in Afghanistan. And the point is, is that societies can and do collapse. It's happened many times throughout history. It's happened in recent history. And if we're gonna hold our republic together, people are going to have to step up. And you're exactly right to point to some of these threats. The globalists at the World Economic Forum are absolutely intent on destroying American sovereignty. And you see it time after time after time in their economic policies. You see it in the COVID tyranny, which was inflict inflicted on, on Americans. And you also raise a very important point. They have actively worked to compromise American figures, including, most importantly, Joe Biden. Yes. Joe Biden, who's compromised in Ukraine. Joe Biden, who's compromised in China. 
And then when you see that Biden being compromised, the very facts of that, which were rooted in the Hunter Biden laptop, what happened? Big tech came in, censors came in, and they wouldn't even let the American people see that story and make up their own minds. And as you guys know, and I know you've already uh, talked about, uh, millions of Americans said had they known about how compromised Biden was, they would have changed their vote. Yep. So it is a major issue. You've got Joe Biden who's compromised. You've got the globalist agenda at the World Economic Forum and others that we need to oppose. And we need to recognize what Reagan said, that liberty and freedom is always only one generation away from being lost. And now is the time I believe, certainly in my lifetime, the greatest threat to our country we've ever seen. It's time for us to stand up and take our country back. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where this midterm election is so important uh, to, to just absolutely pump the brakes on the Biden administration right now and start you know, conducting some real oversight and real investigations into some of the actual scandals. Not ones like people yes. made up about you, but things like the Hunter Biden laptop. And let's just say at the end of the day, the Hunter Biden laptop was a whole bunch of insurance related fraud. And there was some, you know, stuff that he shouldn't have been doing there. I, th I still want to know. Not only do we want to know, but would it have affected the outcome of the election? Of course it would have. If Joe Biden was getting 50 percent of all of his living expenses paid by his son's bad business dealings that he wasn't using like the fair process for that he wasn't reporting on his taxes for. You can't think about the implications that that would have had on the presidential election when it was just like a smear campaign from top to bottom against President Trump. So you make some definite ex excellent points there. And uh, uh, moving forward, we hope to see some real oversight. If it takes till after the midterm elections, well, then we know it'll be in good hands with senators like you moving forward. Um, one of the things I want to touch on next, it's probably most important going on right near here at home, is the end of Title 42 scheduled for uh, May 23rd of this year. Um, we've already seen... You know, a lot of our friends who work uh, cross-border, Jorge Ventura, et cetera, are showing that there's massive stagings of people coming all the way down from, you know, lower Mexico and all the ones who have been kind of taking up residence there is starting to leave all their belongings and, and make the trip north. How important is it for us to get our hands, like, wrapped around this border issue and, and, and slow it down or, or we're in big trouble as a nation? It is a massively important issue. It is a direct threat to the future of the United States of America. And first, I'll give you some perspective on this from my own trip, having been, been down there. Sure. And the big picture is that the mainstream media is absolutely lying about how bad it truly is. Mm -hmm. When I walked down to the border, again, on the Mexican side of the border, one of the things that I was struck by is when you walk down, there's all of this trash, of course. There's water bottles and food debris and stuff. There's also hundreds of IDs hundreds of IDs thrown on the ground. And the reason why they throw them on the ground is that under Joe Biden's border policies, they throw their IDs on the ground, they walk, takes them about 90 seconds to walk across the river, it's about, about, about knee height, they get to the other side, they actively seek out the Customs and Border Patrol, they're not trying to hide. Because under Biden, the Customs and Border Patrol essentially acts as Uber for, for, for people who have illegally crossed. This, the Customs and Border Patrol then takes them to an office. At that office, they're asked if they have an ID, and they say no. And then they're asked what their name is. 
That name, whatever name they give is then written down on a piece of paper and then the Customs and Border Patrol hands them that paper and says, you should report to an American court in 90 days. And then after that, they are either flown somewhere in the United States of America or they're simply released into the United States of America. And you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are crossing every single month. Yeah. It is an absolute tragedy. It is also a humanitarian tragedy. You know, we talked to one Customs and Border Patrol agent who said there was one kid who'd been sold 17 times. Mm. People believe that if they cross with a kid, they'll definitely be let in. So they cross with children. They essentially buy or rent for the journey. They get to the other side and then the drug gangs and the cartels send the kids back. And you've seen horrific abuse is happening. It's one of the reasons why we need to point out that the Joe Biden leftist policies are cruel. They are absolutely cruel. And we need to recognize as conservatives, we need to take back, the, the left always talks about caring about people. It's our policies which are compassionate because they actually protect people. Joe Biden has become one of the largest human traffickers in the world. His policies are aiding and abetting the, ma the massive tra trafficking operation that's happening at the southern border. So it is a huge issue, and the Title 42 change that Biden is proposing is just gonna make things worse. Last note I wanna say on this is that this is like every issue. It's a leftist problem, but let's remember it's rhinos who have enabled it. When President Trump was in office, we had the House and the Senate. They could have passed funding for a border wall, but they failed to do it. And yet they'll turn around and they'll pass trillions of dollars in spending for Joe Biden's Green New Deal. So we need to take on the left, but we also need to recognize it's time for us to be serious. It's time for us to play for keeps in the America First movement. And we got to have the right leaders who are really willing to take on the left. Yeah, and you're definitely one of them to, to say the least. I wouldn't put you in the category of the Murkowskis, the Collins, and even the Romneys no. in, in any way, shape, or form. You're definitely the antithesis of that. And uh, moving forward, we'd like to see you continue to pick up steam, which is, you know, the last thing I really want to touch with you on, I think it's the most important one, even though we've got all these issues going on both nationally and, and then, you know, some of the great things that uh, you've been, over to, been able to overcome in your campaign is the uh, – how is everything going on the trail right now? How are the people in Missouri reacting to your campaign? We know you're doing really strong in the polls, and uh, you probably identify as the best candidate to represent the real men and women, the hardworking families there. And uh, how are things on the campaign trail right now? Thank you. Things on the campaign trail are great. I'll tell you this. Our, our election is in early August, so we're about three and a half months away. People are fired up. And anywhere you go in Missouri, people recognize what is at stake. And that is that our country is at stake, that this is the moment when people have to stand up. And we have had tens of thousands of patriots around the country who've come up. They've signed up on our website, which is ericgreitens.com. They've made donations to our campaign because we're running a true grassroots campaign and people are fired up. And again, when we're attacked by George Soros, when we're attacked by Karl Rove and Mitch McConnell, it just is a signal to all of our folks, we've got to get in and win this race. And that's what people are doing. I am so impressed by the courage of average Americans who have said, you know what, 
enough of this nonsense. They are sharing news that they believe in. They're coming to places like Steak for Breakfast podcast where they're actually downloading it and listening it and listening to it and sharing it with people. People are getting the truth out and they're taking action and it's really inspiring. Yeah, it certainly is. It's a, you know, our, our listenership is very interactive and, and one of the people that really resonate with them is you when you come on the show. We get a lot of positive feedback and definitely a lot of shares on our social media. And then you can just tell there's there's certain candidates that we have on. They kind of give their platform and, you know, and, and then there's some, they really start to unpack it for our for our listenership. They're they're really in tune with some of the issues that are going on and can talk about it, you know, and, and you come up as one of them all, all the time. And uh, between now and August, we'd, we'd hope to have you back at, at least once or twice more because... For uh, sure. Yeah. For sure. Anytime you guys need me, man, I so appreciate... The, the courage and the boldness of what you guys do, making sure that we get the truth out to people and so appreciate your audience. And we're going to have a bunch of your counterparts on in the next couple of weeks. Adam Laxalt's joining us again. He's coming back next or this Friday, I think. And uh, we've got Herschel Walker, Jake Paquette, and uh, Blake Masters also coming through in the near future. So big, 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 big Senate races and uh, a lot of strong America First candidates that are all looking to work with you after the elections in November. Governor, where can we find you? I know you already mentioned the website. If you want to give that one more time and then anywhere across social media that you want to give out, we'll live link it in the show description today. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Um, all of our social media is at Eric Greitens. It's at E-R-I-C-G-R-E-I-T-E-N-S. And the website is also probably the best place to come. Sign up there. It's www.ericgreitens.com again e-r-i-c-g-r-e-i-t-e-n-s.com come out join us we're having a lot of fun and uh we're winning and we're going to take the country back nice this is the number one contender in a field of a lot of pretenders on the republican side for the 2022 midterm election senatorial race in missouri former governor eric greitens thanks for joining us today on steak for breakfast appreciate you guys talk to you soon take care sir it was good getting uh caught back up with the commander yeah i like that guy and uh, he's inadvertently become a recurring guest on our show, and it sounds like he really enjoys coming on when he does so. So we will continue to invite him back, sometimes in a pinch. And uh, like I said, we, we really enjoy having him on there, and it's, he's running one hell of a campaign out there in Missouri. So I think they're going to be well represented in the Senate next year, and uh, much to Turtle Mitch's dismay. Nobody likes Turtle Mitch. Hey, what did uh, oh, Lady G... <laughs> That's what Alex Bruschewitz called Lindsey Graham. <laughs> we got to stay with that one. That's a good one. Speaking of ladies, how dare me? Oh. Uh, we're entering the twilight of Jen Psaki's career as White House spokesperson. And uh, yeah. yes. So breaking news over the course of our uh, last little bit, a bird has defecated on Joe Biden while he was at a speaking event today. Oh, really? Yes. I sent it to you in the group chat. So I, I didn't open it because it was. I'll have to share that bad boy, but. Uh... <laughs> Quite the delight. Was it a good one? A little bit on the face, mostly on the uh, where the lapel pins go. Ooh. So, Giga Chad moment for Birds of Iowa. That's amazing. And uh, whoever trained that bird, bird assassins. There you go. <laughs> Guess they're not all robots. But, uh, yeah, we're going to, well, low light the rest of Jen Tacky's time uh, working within the administration because, uh, you know, you'll never probably see – uh, a pathological liar do what she's done in such a short amount of time. And that's kind of hold up the Biden administration by its britches, um, you know, literally and figuratively. So what we're going to do now is talk about some of the pressure she had yesterday. Um, she blamed everyone and everything 
for the current inflation rate, except the administration, which she represents, which you would probably think is pretty standard. But let's hear her kind of rationalize it. And just, um, you know, squ- squares this all together. I mean, many voters do feel that inflation, correctly so, predates the war, and it can't all be blamed on Vladimir Putin. We've never we talked about inflation long before there was an invasion. You called but it the we Putin also price know hike. that factually, if you look at the data, the average gas prices are up. A dollar eighty eighty cents to a dollar. It's about a twenty-five percent. We've seen increase in gas prices since the start of this invasion, and since we know energy increase. prices is a big driver of the inflation data. It so won't be the last uh, increase that's either. if you look at the economic data. It doesn't mean I'm not suggesting every person in this country looks at data and assesses in that way. They ah. assess how they feel and what the impacts are on them. We've long talked about, since at least I started this job, since the president came into office, the impacts of the pandemic on supply chains, how that's impacted a range of costs and steps we're taking to address those, whether it's ensuring there's our goods moving through ports uh, or other steps we can take to ensure there are uh, we fund chips <laughs> manufacturing because autos and the production of autos, maybe this was a case or an issue when you were in Michigan, is def- has definitely been a driver over the case of time. So there's the course of time. So there's a lot of different issues, but we have there's no question that energy prices continue to be month by month a driver of inflationary data. And we know that since the start of this invasion, because of the reduction of oil in the supply in the global oil market, that that uh, from Putin's invasion, that that is a big driver. Hmm. What do you think, Noah? Seems, seems legit. <laughs> Putin's price hike. Oh, we didn't call it that. That was, you know, hmm, exactly. Uh, she did also touch on immigration, which is 100% plus, plus, plus. The Biden administration's fault for the current crisis at the border. There's no other way to reshape it. However, she did and uh, talked about how if any of the Senate or House Republicans would like to work on a solution. Where have I heard that before? Mm. They're more than likely, but they haven't seen any kind of an expression to get involved. Let's hear her try to rationalize this one. Um, you said over the weekend that um, the administration agrees more needs to be done, the immigration system is broken. This was in response to a question about sure. Democrats who don't want to lift it right now. Um, you invited Republicans to work with the White House to get something done on immigration, but has the White House actually reached out to any Republicans to try to move this forward recently? It has been a long-standing open invitation. Uh, any Republican who wants to work with us on immigration reform, you're invited. Let's have a conversation. We have not seen uh, an expression of that interest. What did uh, Ted Cruz say board. last week? So you're, you're wanting Republicans to go to you. The White House is not reaching out then to any. We have conversations with Democrats and Republicans all the time, Jackie, but I think it's Mitt clear what we're seeing from Republicans is yeah. an effort to politicize this and not fix what we all recognize as an outdated and broken system. Didn't Ted Cruz go on, on Fox News last week? We played it on our Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast and say how Joe Biden has been essentially inaccessible since he's taken the oath of office. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Nobody's been able to nail him down except for that bird. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, so there was like some big – Joe Biden gave a speech on Friday. We didn't play the exact clip of it, but he talked about – and he had mentioned it before when he was in Poland going to the front lines – uh, for what the world is trying to make look like, Ukraine is the war zone of all war zones. We've seen people from Poland and other countries fly in to Kiev and visit with Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, as late as yesterday, uh, Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, flew into Kiev and visited with him as well. 
<laughs> they actually walked down the streets together of a war zone. Yeah, he was. Uh, somebody was making a joke because he. I forget what city he was. Somewhere in his country, he was wearing like a legit like stab vest. Yeah, and here he's wearing a suit in an actual war zone. Right, and, and listen, getting back to Joe Biden, he says he wants to go, but last week he made some comments that that took a couple people by surprise when he said people won't let him. They won't let me. They won't let me. I want to go, but they won't let me. <laughs> Listen here, Jack. So who's calling the shots? Jen Psaki tried to answer that question. Let's see if she did. Decides if the president goes to Ukraine or not. In what way? He had said when he was in Poland that he expressed interest in going to Ukraine, but they wouldn't let me. So I'm wondering who. I'm not going to get into private considerations internally on that front. Okay. Oh, who's going to let him? Yeah, why? Yeah, me. Why won't, they won't let me. I mean, you can't make a lot of this stuff up, including the narrative that Joe Biden took to the podium yesterday um, when they talked about gun control again. Because if it's not about opening our border or our failed domestic and international policies globally, ruining the economy, indoctrinating your children, am I missing anything? Fed surrections, et cetera. They're coming after your guns. Um, probably not going to happen, but, oh, voter integrity, things related to that. Let's hear them. And I know it's controversial, but I got it done once. Ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. I was getting criticized when I first passed this law when I was a senator. Hmm. And guess what? I was down in southern Delaware. And I was saying, I don't give a shit. And I was w- walking up one of the creek beds. And the guy standing there said, you want to take my gun? I said, I don't take your gun. He said, well, you're telling me I can't have more than the next number of bullets in, a, in, 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 a, in my gun. And I said, what do you think the deer you're hunting or wear Kevlar vest? What the hell do you need 20 bullets for? You must be a hell of a terrible shot. <laughs> I'm serious. Think about it. Think about the mass shootings. Shut the fuck up. With the mass shootings. Fuck. Motherfucker. What did we have this morning in New York? A red flag? I mean, a mass shooting? Uh, a fed shooting? A red, fe- red fed? False fed event? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, let's not, let's not do too many iterations of that. We're going to get... No t-shirts? <laughs> Can we still do access of oil? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, it took less than 24 hours for it to hit false flag cycle and like we said happened in new york this morning with someone shooting people um and it's just it's pitiful to even think that that's uh anything that's in the realms of negotiable joe biden spoke today um he's out in iowa and in addition to getting defecated on by a bird i'm watching it now in slow motion and close up Definitely get some spray on the face. He gave a little squinty scrunch face when it happened. Um, He was talking about the economy. Uh, He mentioned Putin's price hike, uh, but was definitely serious about some other things. Let's hear it. Lower new modern locks. We're going to help farmers get their products to market faster, more efficiently, lower cost, and keep American agriculture globally competitive. Folks, the list goes on. I'm starting to bore myself here, but this is important stuff. (laughs) I think. I think. In fact, 
Members of my administration and I will be visiting rural America. He was boring himself with his own content. Oh, he's going to fire that speech writer. I think the teleprompter just probably crapped out. Yeah. And uh, we all know what it's like when he goes off cuff. He doesn't mention the billions and billions. Crazy Nancy. It's definitely other things. But, um, yeah, that's kind of an update on what's going on with the uh, the administration this week. So, um, victory lap for Katanji Brown-Jackson and the uh, crazy far-left socialists that they've put on the Supreme Court. Congratulations for defecating on the federal bench, the highest level. Um, gun control and not taking blame for the border and or inflation and energy crisis that we're in right now in addition to continuing burting out money for all things Ukraine related as we near 16 billion dollars in nearly 40 days so we are going to talk to someone uh in a moment here who knows a lot about coming to this country the right way assimilating the right way and upholding those not only America first values but is a huge fan of Trump era policy so we're going to be sitting down with the for the first time with House candidate coming out of Florida, Frank Polo, and then he's getting ready to join the chat. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is an America First candidate running for the U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives, looking to represent Florida 27 in the midterm elections this upcoming year. Mr. Frank Polo, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you guys. Well, the pleasure's all ours. It's glad we finally been able to connect. You've been busy to say the least. Why don't you let our listenership know about the uh, campaign you're rolling out there in Florida 27? Well, uh, uh, we have a campaign here against uh, one of those rhinos that are uh, precisely one of the ones that went uh, for for the January 6th commission, mm. the one that voted for January 6th commission. Um, we are organizing here this campaign. This is not the first time that I go against Maria Elvira Salazar. Maria Elvira Salazar is a well-known rhino for all, I mean, for most people here in Dade County. Unfortunately, uh, and this is something that nobody knows about it. I mean, out of Miami, in Miami, everybody knows about it. But unfortunately, the Cuban uh, intelligence services here in Miami have a huge operation. They they have taken control of the media. They have taken control of so many things down here in, in South Florida that is incredible. When you try to run against one of those rhinos that they have in, in Congress, it's almost impossible. I mean, actually, uh, I've been going through hell. Uh, I even uh, suffer uh, uh, from these people coming after me in the in my professional life and different kind of uh, uh, things. But uh, uh, this is not easy. I mean, going against a, a rhino here in Dade County is, is something that is very tough for whoever has the the, the courage to to go uh, to go against uh, one of those rhinos. No, you, you, you know, you make a good point there and you talk about the apparatus that the Cuban community has set up to kind of shield candidates like uh, Maria Salazar. And for a lot of people in our listenership, uh, aside from seeing her get lit up on Tucker Carlson a couple times, they may have never even seen her before or know about any of the things she does at all. So uh, my next question is, with such a strong uh, backing coming from the community, uh, from like the legacy media side and maybe the corporate news media and stuff like that, but not really in pulse with the people who actually live in Dade County in Miami. What compelled you to run and what does that support look like since you uh, declared for uh, Florida 27? 
Well, actually, when you go out there and you talk to people and you tell people that you're running against Maria Baida Salazar, most people like it because actually they, uh, the last time that I ran, uh, unfortunately, I had to run as a, as a writing. I decided that I was not going to ask for money. It was right at the beginning of the, pan, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I decided that I was not going to ask for money, so I ran as a writing. No many people found out about me, but I went out there. I talked to people. I knocked on doors. So I put my name out there in, in a kind of like uh, the old way. Um, it, it, it worked. So people don't want a rhino in Congress. People understand pretty well what she's up to. Uh, they also understand very well that she lied to the Cuban people. And that's one of the, uh, the biggest community that we have here in Dade County, the voters, the, the ones that vote uh, the most here in Dade County. So that's uh, something that people is very, very upset with her. Remember that also Dade County is uh, an America first territory. Yep. So we got a lot of people down here that they believe in, in our agenda. People that are, they, they are very upset that she voted for the January 6th commission. Uh, and we, we are doing pretty well. I mean, when we talk to people, the, they understand where I'm coming from. Uh, and we're going to be fighting the, the, taking the fight to these people because we, we need America first con, uh, candidates in Congress to, and people that know the law, because that's another thing. We got somebody there that doesn't know the law and she's just proposing laws and proposing things without knowing the consequences. I'm just going to assume that she doesn't know the consequences because uh, she just came out with um, kind of like an amnesty for immigrants. Um, she doesn't realize, I hope uh, she doesn't realize, I know that she's doing it on purpose. Uh, she doesn't realize that she's leaving a, an open door for any immigrant to come to this country and then to get a path to citizenship. And that's something that she doesn't talk about it. Uh, the press, so, some, I mean, the press is divided here and some of the press has been like coming after her and telling her, listen, this is wrong. This is something that is not going to get the backup that, that you need in Congress. But she doesn't care. She has an objective that uh, I don't know what it is precisely, but uh, I do understand that uh, the way the, the her proposal is uh, designed uh, we're going to have a bigger problem within a few years because we're going to have people coming into this country and five years later, they're going to have a path to citizenship. And basically that's going to that's gonna motivate uh, people to come to this country. And that, that's very risky. I mean, as a Latino, I'm talking as a Latino, for us it's going to be very risky because uh, these people have to go through how to get to the U.S. They have to go through uh, people as smugglers and, um, there is a lot of uh, risk in coming to this country. And that's why I tell people always just try the legal way. Let's, let's try to, to bring people the legal way. That's not a problem. I mean, we do understand as, re as uh, Republicans, we do understand that we need uh, immigration. We need the immigration system to work, but uh, it has to be a legal immigration system. You cannot be proposing uh, laws that are going to, leave the, the border wide open, even though she's saying, oh, yeah, I'm proposing uh, some kind of security cameras and this and that. Uh, let's be honest. If you say, OK, we're going to bring people 
Uh, we're going to give people that has been in this country for five years a path to citizenship. Then the people that are now four years in a year from now are going to be eligible also to, to get the, the path. So um, basically, uh, I think, I believe that uh, we uh, need people in Congress that understand the law. Somebody that, uh, like me, that went to the school that got a... Uh, uh, prepare for that task and that it's going to be able to not only bring common sense law to Congress, but it's also going to be able to bring what the American people want. It's somebody that is going to be working, not for a special interest, but for the American people. Sure. And, and you make a whole lot of sense there. There's an enormous Latino presence and immigrant communities, their families that are in, in Miami-Dade County. And uh, a lot of people there either took them forever to get their citizenship or they initially did it the right way. And when they see someone that comes in there and proposes, like, the problem to fix immigration is to let everybody from anywhere come in and with five years they're equal to the people who have worked their whole lives to obtain U.S. citizenship, who have assimilated to a lot of the values in this country, who have raised their children in this family the right way and, and, and teach them how the right way is. And then just to see the problems that we've had since the Biden administration took over – and, and, you know, Representative Salazar is a huge component of, of some of that disaster right there, especially with the things that she's been proposing. It's really good to see that you've not only been able to identify it, but attach it as a big component of your uh, campaign platform and roll it out to the people there in Miami-Dade who really understand that because they went through it themselves. No, definitely. And we have many, many immigrants here in Dade County. Um, may, I have talked to them. Uh, many of them understand that we we definitely need a to do something with the immigration system. We have to fix the immigration system, but they also understand that it has to be in a legal way. It has to be the way it's supposed to be. So to be honest, and that's where, where I'm coming from. Uh, I do believe that we have to fix the immigration uh, system, but it has to be right after we secure the border. The border sorry. Um, once we secure the border, then we're gonna be able to, to come up with a plan to help uh, whoever is in this country that uh, that has been complying with the law, so that people that have that they have family already in this country, then we're gonna think about it. We're gonna have to find a way to to help them out because it's just fair. It's just fair, but we cannot leave an open door for more people to come into the country and without any consequences because that's another thing. We don't have a real law that is gonna. I mean, the laws that we have now, those are laws without teeth. Mm -hmm. So if you come through the border, yeah, it's illegal, whatever. What is it? It's a misdemeanor? Is that what it is? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. We need real laws that are going to deter people from coming from other countries in an illegal way. We have an immigration system that works, and we have uh, an immigration system that if you apply the laws and you go through the, the normal path, you're going to be able to come to this country. But we have to do it the legal way. Yeah. It's not that we Republicans are against, because that's something that I get every once in a while. They go like, oh, you are an immigrant and you are against, uh, um, you are against immigrants. No, that's not what it is. It is that uh, things have to go through the normal channels. Yeah, and, and they have to become 
more formalized to make it, like you said, a streamlined process where the immigration system, the laws and practices that are already in place are actually applied and working. Yeah, and then, you know, make, well, them, make them worse than a parking ticket, you know, when you get caught doing it. Oh, yeah. definitely. I, I believe myself, I, I'm working on something, I have a proposal, and I believe myself that we have to make that a, a something that I, you're going to be punished by, by with, with jail or something like that. Because, I mean, if we keep uh, letting people in, how far are we going to go? I mean, there is a point, uh, and we got to be honest, I mean, Democrats are spending our tax dollars like if there was no tomorrow. They don't care. They don't care. And we have to stop this. This is madness, what's happening in this country. I came to this country to be free, and this is nothing compared to back in 1994 when I came to this country. Mm -hmm. Well, I got here in 95, but I, I escaped in 95. I'm sorry, in 94. Uh, and this is not this is not the country that I that I came to. I came to a free country, and that's what I'm gonna defend. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, you gotta figure. You know, one of the main solutions to what we have going on right now is just make it so if you commit any sort of fraud in your asylum process, that your fraud is well. Let, let me tell you about it. it. That that's something else. I mean, back in nineteen ninety five. The Clinton administration gave Cuba 20,000 visas per year. They've been using that to bring Cuban spies to the U.S. to influence our, our uh, election system and to influence the way our communities think. And they are all over the country that, that people is operating within the U.S. What is the, the, our intelligence services doing? Nothing. So that's something else that we have to go into each each one of those applications when they came here and find out if they really released the information that, I mean, about their past, about what organizations they belong to when they were in Cuba and all the things. We're going to find a lot of uh, interesting things when, when we do an investigation of these people that have come in probably the last 20 years. Huh, I think that's the first person who's touched on that for us. That's interesting, yeah. And it's good that you're you're in the know. It seems like when it comes to the immigration de debate, you're really coming fully loaded and ready to go. And we like to hear that, especially in those, you know, America first states like Florida. You got a great backing up at the uh, gubernatorial level, and then you guys got some pretty solid senators. And uh, we're going to be working with you directly when you get into the House of Representatives come the fall. Uh, Frank, I want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, jobs and crime. Uh, there are two huge national issues. Obviously, the inflation rate. I just saw some numbers come out in the last hour. You know, they're talking about 6%, 7%, 8%. When you compare it to 1981 numbers right now, inflation rate is 19.7%. Uh, knowing myself broadcast out of Southern California, we're currently experiencing somewhere between 23 and 24%. How are the families in Miami-Dade right now getting crushed by these numbers? And, and what, are we some of the, what are some of the things that you're going to be proposing to help get this inflation under control? Well, you got to go to the pump and just see how, how people is going to feel. You see those numbers going up and then you, you're filling up your car. I was right uh, at the, the gas station yesterday. And I heard this couple, they had two cars parked side by side, putting gas. And one was like, wow, look at this. I put like $80 in my car and the other was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still putting, but I'm like 60 already. When you see this, you go like, wow. I mean, if people is just talking about this, that means that uh, it's affecting people in a huge way. Um, we, I have a proposal for, for jobs. I have proposal for many things. But uh, what I want to go for uh, is definitely something that I'm pretty sure 
all other America first candidates are energy independence. Mm -hmm. uh, we are for energy independence and we have to achieve that again. I'm pretty sure 2024, we're going to have somebody in the White House that is going to say, we are going to fix this country. But uh, I mean, we have to open our minds also. And we have to just get out of the uh, idea that we have that our problem is our problem, problem only. We have bigger problem that we, I, I don't hear the, the press talking about it. Uh, it's the, this communist movement that has been um, like uh, evolving in Central and South America. Uh, we got to be clear about something. We are the final objective for this movement. They are coming to this country, they are inside our country, and they're operating inside our country. So that's why when I talk about the Cuban infiltration in Miami, yeah. I know this is something that no Cuban wants to talk about it. No politician, no Cuban politician wants to talk about it. But this is the moment to talk about it because this is, this is our homeland. We got to protect our country. And if we don't take all these people out and we go application by application, finding out who these people are, we're going to be in trouble within probably another 10, 15 years. These people are here. They're, they're very savvy working in social media. They, they got influencers. They got everything you can think of. And they got access to presidents. They got access to politicians. They came to me. They tried to, to get to me also. I realized that, that was back in 2018. I realized that they, they wanted to get close to me. And I said, oh, hold on for a minute. What are you talking about? You're talking about political groups in Cuba. I'm not representing political groups in Cuba. I don't care about it. I mean, just, of course, like a Cuban, I feel for my Cuban people. Like a Cuban, if I can do something for my Cuban people, of course I'm going to do it. But when they try to get me involved in between two groups, two opposition groups, which is something else that they are doing, they're creating their own opposition for, uh, like a fake opposition. So... When they tried to get me into this, I said, oh, something is wrong here. And then I realized later that uh, that was organized by the Cuban intelligence. They have threatened me here publicly in, in Dade County, in the U.S. Uh, when I called the, the FBI, it took me like 45 minutes on the phone to get a hold of somebody. And eventually I had to hang up because I mean, but this is happening in Dade County. We got to be clear about it. And um, if I'm going to get into um, um, judicial corruption and a lot of other things that I have talked about, uh, it's, it's crazy what's happening in Dade County. And those are the things that I want to bring to Congress. I want to, to talk about those issues because we got to make sure that America, if America is, is to remain free like it is up to now, we got to fight for it. And we got to make sure also to understand that America is no we can now look at South America and Central America like a, a different world. We have to have allies in that, those regions. And that's where we, we failed in the last 20, probably 30 years. We have failed into uh, having allies in the, in the region. And that's something that is a priority for me. Uh, there is something else that, I, that I'm cooking um, but I don't want to talk about it because I mean, it would be just like telling our enemies we are coming for you. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yes, um, I got multiple ideas about how, how to, how to help our, our country. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm fighting for. 
back in 2018, I decided that I was going to come into politics for just precisely for, for the corruption in the family court system. And that's when I discovered that there, were, there was much more that we could do for America. And that's why I'm fighting this fight. I'm going gonna, gonna to take it on to, to the end. Yeah, it sounds like you really have the people who live there as best inference. You, you know, you've talked about the border. You've talked about dealing with corruption and crime. And, and you've talked about, uh, you know, some of the things you'd like to see oversight-wise w- once you get in there. We want to be able to direct as much of our listenership to come and uh, support you, Frank, and get involved with your campaign, whether it's donating monetarily or uh, people who live in the Miami-Dade area. And we do have a large listenership there. Getting involved and getting out there and helping you support your campaign as you go and uh fight up against Salazar running into these elections right now. Where can we find you across social medias and what's your campaign website? Well, you can go to my website. is frankpolo.com. And you're also going to be able to find me in any social media using just Polo, the number four, and then Congress, the word Congress. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need a lot of support. We can, we can do uh, we can make this happen definitely. I'm pretty sure that if we go out there and we do our work, we're gonna we're gonna be successful. We need people in Congress that is gonna be fighting for America, not people that are are gonna be fighting for some other country or some uh, special interest. And that's what's happening with uh, Maria Salazar. Yeah, we need people to fight for America, not sell it. Yeah, we've got. That's right. That's right. Can't agree with that more. We've got some great patriots like Anthony Sabatini, Luna Lopez. Oh, is coming. he's great. He sure is. He's been on with us. Luna Lopez is coming on with us next week. And even people like Robbie Starbuck, he's Cuban-American. He's running in Tennessee, but he's got a pretty big national platform. He's probably going to be working to collaborate with you come uh, January of next year. So we're going to live link all of your stuff in our show description today, Frank. And, of course, at some point in the future, we'd love to get you back as we get closer to the midterms and have a, an update on the campaign and let our uh, listenership know just how everything's going down there in Miami-Dade. Yeah, it'll be my pleasure. Ours as well. This is the uh, candidate who's looking to represent Florida 27 in the upcoming midterm elections, Mr. Frank Polo. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. Well, that was good getting to sit down with uh, Frank Polo for the first time. Yeah, he was good. I like him. Very well-versed on all things immigration, up against a uh, real pain in the ass, Maria Salazar. But he brought a lot of the same talking points that uh, Tucky lit her up with both times as she's appeared on his show, both embarrassingly to herself. And uh, when you talk about blanket immigration and you're representing a place as red as, you know, large amounts of Dade County are. I like candidates like that because it's literally the Uno reverse card. Mm-hmm. Not to culturally appropriate the language for Uno, but. <laughs> how dare you? I wish <laughs> no, you but, to say uh, how dare you in Spanish. Yeah, I, we'll figure it out. Uh, but even though, you know, we've, are, we've already seen that the left will call black people racist, Uncle Tom's and, you know, what have you. I mean, what are they going to call Cubans who are against illegal immigration? I mean, just just normal racist? I don't, I don't know. Hmm, that's a good point. Or they just... Uh, I don't yeah. want to make up any new racial slurs or anything. I'm just saying, like, it, it's, it's, it's easier for these candidates to operate in the areas of illegal immigration and things that are the, you know, the trigger points for, for the left without just immediately being called a racist. So I think that's a good thing. Hmm. Speaking of racists, uh, polls are usually considered racist. Oh, yeah. I just saw one come across the wire right now before we get into our news mash last segment of the show. Um, people who support Joe Biden look at Congress with a 46% good or excellent rate of effectiveness. Really? Um, and people who don't are racist. Yes. 
support Perfect. Joe Biden are racist and view Congress in the same poll at only a 3% useful or successful rate. That's a huge... So is it racist to think that these people don't, a lot of times, do anything, get paid way too much for it, do nothing but profit off of the working class and the country, albeit with, with stocks or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. insider trading, mm-hmm. special interest groups, book lobbyists, deals, yep. buying Hunter Biden's art, podcasts. Podcasts? No, they're. I've I've come to learn that podcasts done by anybody who's serving is congressional property, and you can't monetize them unless you do like a. I forget what the word was, something tier, third tier, with ads and stuff like that. But that's besides the point. It's not like they're profiting off that stuff. But I do get what you're where you're coming from. Listen, we have the slimmest majorities of Democrat control in the House and Senate. What is it like? Twelve seats in the House and zero in the Senate. The vice president is the tiebreaker. I don't know. You're the one who can remember all that shit. I can't remember anything. Right. But, you know, it, and I understand, as does our listenership probably, that when it comes to legislation-wise, you know, when you control the, the, the office of the president, a lot of that stuff is going to get ebbed and flowed by the House and the Senate who have the majorities, albeit slim. But to not see the fight that I wish we saw and that you'll have a clearer picture of by the end of this segment um, it's pretty alarming, to say the least. And uh, to think we're not in a, a really difficult time for our nation right now, for all those people who just go out there and, you know, mass still on, uh, still working from home, you know, letting their kids get fucked with at school by all these creepy-ass teachers, and, and then ignoring all of the issues both here and abroad, you're going to be in for a rude awakening uh, because what you were sold as the solution has become more of the problem and faster of it than ever before. Cliche to say, but it's the truth. Mm. I mean, in, in nearly 16 months now, we've we've systematically teared down decades. I'm not even talking about the Trump president anymore. Things going all the way back to Reagan era, because we're back in a Cold War with Russia right now, have just been torn down and erased. That's not the way we can operate anymore. Like the way we're operating at our southern border, where the Border Patrol Union Vice President Hector Garza jumped on with uh, Neil Cavuto yesterday. I saw him do a segment on Greg Abbott's plan which in some contexts is working. Apparently, there's been dozens of buses that they've been able to convince the people that their needs will be met more appropriately if they're bused directly to Washington, D.C. and dropped <laughs> off at the front of the Senate. Um, let's talk about that as he followed up on Greg Abbott's promise to Joe Biden last week. A lot has been you know, debated back and forth with the administration now saying that it's illegal what the governor wants to do, that is Governor Abbott, to take busloads of those taken and apprehended at the border and send them to Washington, D.C. But uh, is it any different than, than taking them to a processing center or you know, a high school, what have you, in Texas? Is there any difference? You know, well, first of all, Texas Governor Abbott has been instrumental to securing the border and trying to secure the border right now. If it wasn't for Governor Abbott and him sending the Texas National Guard to the border, we would be completely destroyed in the U.S. Border Patrol. As far as his plans to send people to uh, uh, illegal aliens to Washington, D.C., hey, you know what? Send them. Maybe that'll send a message to the American people. Maybe that'll send a message to the Biden administration. At this point, desperate measures calls for uh, uh, desperate times calls for desperate measures. Hector, how is that process? handled if that these those caught and those who have to be processed once taken at the border um you just have to get their approval then to to take them to let's say in this case washington dc 
So, so under Title 42, it takes us about maybe 20 to 30 minutes to process each illegal alien. That's under Title 42. Once Title 42 goes away, we will be using Title 8 authority. That means that now it's going to take us about anywhere from an hour to two hours to process each individual on the border. That means that with the overflow of illegal aliens that we're going to see, that means that we're going to have almost no agents patrolling the actual border. As far as how uh, our Governor Abbott will be sending people to uh, to Washington, D.C., that's something for him to figure out. Um, I know that we uh, catch and release people every single day. That might be something that he might be working with the, uh, the different sectors uh, in Texas. All right. Pretty horrifying. Yeah, and that's probably like a best-case scenario estimate yeah. when everything goes correctly, mm-hmm. an hour, two hours. Maybe everybody shows up to work. Maybe everybody's not completely disenfranchised and morale's at an all-time low, and everybody went from disliking their jobs to absolutely hating them. Catching COVID a couple times, maybe maybe losing a couple coworkers to death. Yeah, from from being exposed to third-world diseases, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, that's always fun. Mandatory staying at working, probably. I can only assume that they're working at crazy hours. Yeah. So from from what I've seen, it seems like they're pretty maxed out, to say the least. Um, And that's not the only crazy news that I heard this week. In the same day where Dr. Fauci danced across the news spectrum, still here, and and talked about... Not dead yet. Americans are going to have to... Neither's COVID. Find a way to live with COVID. Zero risk. Things in Shanghai are fucking pretty crazy right now. Yeah, there's people, like, jumping out of, like, high-rise buildings and shit like that. To their deaths. Well, it's not to lunch. Well, that's true. Like, I mean, like extras in a Mel Gibson movie. Yeah. And and I've seen uh, laundry sacks full of pets of because apparently cats and dogs can transmit COVID just as easily as humans in, in Shanghai um, being collected and, and drugged through the streets. To- I'm pretty sure I had COVID twice and I never gave it to my dog. Mm-hmm. Or did I? You all right, buddy? Still sleeping. He sure is. Tucky weighed in on the situation there and how crazy, absolutely insane, this whole narrative is right now with COVID in Shanghai. Let's hear part of it. The first mass quarantine in human history began in the central Chinese city of Wuhan. That was back in the beginning of 2020. Within days, pictures and videos of what was happening there began to appear on English language social media. And at the time, the images were shocking to everyone in the West. The Communist Party of China had effectively imprisoned 11 million people simultaneously. The citizens of Wuhan were confined by government order to their apartments. And those who tried to leave sometimes found themselves welded inside. Some of them starved to death. Authorities in hazmat suits dragged streaming citizens into vans and then drove them to internment camps. Watching this, you could barely believe it. China seemed to have gone insane moving from authoritarian to dystopian in a single day. So this was the world's introduction to COVID-19, a virus we later learned the Chinese government itself helped create. Looking back, it all seems like a bad dream. COVID panic has now ended. The virus no longer constitutes a public health crisis in this or any other country. And it's clear in retrospect that government lockdowns, whatever their motives, in the end hurt far more people than COVID itself did. The much-touted vaccines, meanwhile, provided nowhere near the protection the drug companies had promised and at the same time came with significant risks that even now have not been openly discussed. 
So at this point, knowing all this, as everybody does, countries all over the world are lifting their coronavirus restrictions. Next will come the apologies, and then, in the free countries at least, lawsuits and criminal charges against the people who did this. Yes. So we're just beginning to reckon with the nightmare that all of us have lived through, and it's impossible to imagine living through it again. But in China, they are living through it again. The government of China has just completely shut down the city of Shanghai. Shanghai is the biggest city in the country. It's one of the largest cities in the world. More than 25 million people live in Shanghai. And the lockdown there is, by all accounts, more brutal and more far-reaching than anything we saw in Wuhan two years ago. Watch. Well, if you think Wuhan 2020 was bad, welcome to Shanghai 2022. This has been like no other lockdown, and it's in the country's cosmopolitan and most affluent financial hub of all places. So this door behind me, this is my exit to the outside alleyway. And late last night, I heard them taping up my door along with the doors of my neighbors. They're placing a paper seal so as to keep it closed. Some buildings with positive cases inside, well, they're locked shut from the outside. They're using bicycle locks and padlocks just to keep people in. Wow. So for once, CNN is not exaggerating. You have 25 million people locked inside their homes. You have the largest prison camp in human history. Anyone who tests positive for COVID is shoved into a van and then taken to a quarantine camp. Watch it happen to this child. <laughs> So where are those vans going? Well, here are pictures of a quarantine camp in China. The child you just saw may be there now. Many thousands of Chinese citizens are. At this camp, mattresses are strewn on the floor of cells. There's no water. There's just one shared toilet. Just days ago, the inmates you see here were living ordinary lives in their own homes. Now they're in prison. What happened to the lives they left behind? What happened to the dogs and cats they left at home? Well, chances are Chinese police beat those dogs and cats to death on the street. That's happening tonight all over Shanghai, a mass slaughter of pets. Now, we hesitate even to show this to you. It's too horrible, but it's also real, and we thought you should know. The uh, COVID prevention worker was caught on camera bashing to death a pet corgi. Apparently, this happened after the pet's owner had tested reportedly positive for COVID-19 and taken away to a quarantine center. It was a resident in the compound who filmed this video and filmed how this health worker used a shovel to strike the corgi three times before the pet dog died on the scene. Hmm. I would go to jail for the rest of my life because I would take the shovel away from that person and beat him to death. Well, well I think the, the narrative here is, is that a lot of people aren't realizing this is happening to their pets because they're going back to their homes to clear them after they've been taken to camp. And the pet's gone. Right, and, and, and they're talking about, um, you know, that kid. Obviously, you're not going to see the video listening to this podcast, but it was a small child, looked to probably be between five and seven years old, wearing an adult mop suit like the full-on ones you see in the movies, but the legs... Those kind of need to be, you know, fitted properly for them to work, right? Yeah, the legs were trailing behind him and because his feet were at the knees. So he was like, it, it was just really silly to watch, but terrifying at the same time to see that, 
you know, like they said, in, in, in one of the busiest and, and most um, economically hub cities in the world, 25 plus million people are locked in their home, sometimes sealed in their home. You know, it's funny. It takes CNN to go through some real shit to have to report the actual fucking news because that guy's face was pale. He looked extremely scared when he was given that update saying how, you know, they put tape on your doors and paper seals there at night to see if you break them to whether or not you know, they know they're going to punish you. Yeah, and they don't care who you are. Like, no. You could be a United States citizen. Yeah, guess what? Zero rights. But believe it or not, gulag. Mm-hmm. Break the seal, gulag. Anything? Go out at night, gulag. There we go. Um, yeah, so maybe coming to a theater near you, we sure as hell hope not. But if it's happening somewhere, it could happen anywhere. I mean, obviously they have a lot less rights and uh, their people are a little bit beat down more in, in China than they are in the United States. However, in a place, you know, you, you would have to think that's one of the most westernish portions of China where they have nightclubs and a big bar scene, fancy restaurants and, you know, theme parks and stuff like that in, in Shanghai. There's just, plus, you know, economically, it's like one of the biggest business hubs in, in the world. So it's just really crazy to hear that's going on and, and even scarier to watch some of the clips from that. I'm going to share it on our Twitter after the show. So if you want, you can just go over to uh stake for podcast on Twitter and, and, and check it out there. If you missed the video last night on Tucky, um, Jesse waters sat down with Chuck Grassley yesterday and something that's starting to become a little bit more apparent. Uh, we've got a little bit of double downer for our last two audio clips of the day. This one's short, but he was talking about whether uh, it's legitimate to start asking on whether whether or not Joe Biden may or may not be compromised by anybody in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop. Let's hear it real quick. Do you have evidence, Senator, that would lead you to believe that Joe is potentially compromised by the Chinese? I only have enough evidence that that's a legitimate question. I do not have evidence that goes as far as you'd like to have me say it go, or if I could say it, I would say it. Anything about that one, Noah? I mean, Grassley's been Hunter Biden laptop team since day one. Yeah. So he's probably seen it. And it's like we, we've talked about with um, Governor Greitens earlier in the show, there's probably a lot of stuff on there that, uh, you know, looks really bad in regards to Joe Biden's business dealings and how he weaponized his son on behalf of his family to make dishonest bucks and stuff like that. But is it really going to be like jail time for the Biden family? I think, I think at the end of the day, we all know it's probably not going to be. I think the best is going to just be watching the gymnastics that people who are riding for Biden are going to have to do to, to explain this away where everything's fine. No, that's completely normal. No. Uh, insert, uh, Joe Biden did, all caps, not get money from Ukraine dealings, 10% for the big guy. Mm. That's the fact check, right? Mm. Just just insert whatever it is, put in all caps, not. Good to go. Oh, There you go. Problem solved. We, we were also seeing that uh, you, you might want to save that button because we're going to hear uh, minority leader Kevin McCarthy. I've been saving it. Black pill all of us next. Oof. Yeah. Um. You know, there there was something that came out, $17 million in uh, some kind of private equity firm for Joe Biden's brother, a wire transition transaction that happened uh, while he was out of office. That's been coming out in the last few days, in addition to his other brother with the, you know, Iraqi track home rebuilding as, as being an independent contractor there and that whole scam that happened. And uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I can't remember her first name, but it's Biden Owens, Joe Biden's sister. 
She's been out running everywhere, MSNBC, CNN, The View, every single place where she can go, talking about how the Hunter Biden laptop. So all of those boomers and plus who are retired that sit home and watch daytime television has been graced by the presence of Joe Biden's sister insisting that there's nothing on the Hunter Biden laptop. So that whole demographic of viewership who remains uninformed and sheepishly goes through the news cycle is being conditioned to think that this is a huge nothing burger. And when the actual results come out, regardless of how bad they are, aren't going to give a shit about it. Of course. So minority leader Kevin McCarthy sat down with Maria Bartiromo this week. I believe it was yesterday and uh, talked about impeaching president Joe Biden. Um, not really thrilled with his answer. Um, we, we, we're starting to come to the conclusion that he is probably going to be uh, the Speaker of the House come January of next year, and that's just based off of, you know, legitimate numbers that we see getting into the House now, which is, you know, anywhere between 60 and 75-ish, um, in addition to some of the America First campaigns that are being repressed by everyone from Kevin McCarthy to and up including the inner circle of the Trump uh, world apparatus. Mm. And, you know, we also at the same time see that uh, when it comes to money-making abilities, $104 million and three quarters speaks a lot. So let's hear him weigh in on um, viable impeachment opportunities. Colleagues uh, on Friday on uh, Fox Business, Greg Murphy, and he told me that all of the things that he is seeing from President Biden uh, are impeachable, but the Congress is worried about impeaching him because they're not so confident about his number two. Here's Greg Murphy. I want to get your reaction to this. Watch. I think there's going to be plenty of foot. There's plenty. If you look at Afghanistan, you look at the border crisis, you look at so many of these different things. The sad thing is, Maria, look at who's number two. Look at who's number two. I think number two is worse than number one. So this is the predicament that we're in. But these offenses that this president has done against the heart and soul of this country, against law and order, I think stands our grounds for impeachable offenses. What about that? Will you move to impeach President Biden? Look, one thing we learned that the Democrats did is they, they used impeachment for political reason. We believe in the rule of law. We're not going to pick and choose just because somebody has power. We're going to uphold the law. At any time, if someone breaks the law and the ramification comes impeachment, we would move towards that. But we're not going to use it for political purposes. Our focus is going to be securing our border, making us energy independent. Bringing these prices down, making our schools safe and our streets again, and holding this administration accountable. And we will take the facts to wherever the facts go, because America has been through too much with people playing politics with the concept of impeachment. But if it rises to that level, we would have the law determine that. Who does number two work for? Mm. What do you think? I mean, that's that's kind of a... Interesting narrative and spin and take on it. I just want the results. Tired of bullshit. I don't disagree with you. Um, I do kind of think that, uh, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, and that is um, if you get into the back and forth of impeachments, you may not have a candidate. Mm Mm-hmm win a legitimate election and last two years in the White House anymore. I mean, what they did with Donald Trump and both of those impeachment things was absolute fucking garbage. Yeah. And something we need to separate ourselves from as a nation faster than ever before. But there is kind of a methodology that I see him going around. However, 
high crimes and misdemeanors, when you look at the mismanagement of Afghanistan and then parlay that into the, what's going on at the southern border now, like we said, those numbers, 4.5 million people of people who, of, of things who are never getting deported ever again, um, astronomical, never seen before, complete mismanagement. Does it get to the high crimes and misdemeanors? I don't know. Like if you f- fuck up everything, everything, everything. <laughs> How do you get a job and fuck up everything? Man, it sounds like that that old comic clip was just meant for somebody. <laughs> right where you hit the stupid son of a bitch button. Yeah. You can hit it. What a stupid son of a bitch. Perfect. Yeah. Not too bad for a Tuesday. A couple reschedules and a cancellation, but shit happens. And even though we're missing our uh, oh. favorite host, are you going to garrison her? I didn't know that's what you were going to say. Do it again. There you go. (laughs) We miss Antoinette, and hopefully she'll be back really soon. If you want to hear her voice and all of the rest of the 124 Steak for Breakfast episodes, you can find us across all downloadable podcasting platforms. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and now exclusively on Roku TV via the Patriot Podcast Network app. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download this and like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds obviously go to our guest today, the greatest of former governors, soon to be top-tier senator, Eric Greitens, running in Missouri. And for the first time getting to know Mr. Frank Polo, outstanding candidate. We looked at he can uh, help make Miami-Dade great again. In addition to that, some of our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, now shareable, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Backman of Newsmax, Christina Bob of Save America, and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live Now. Oh, dang. His newest endeavor. We're still hoping to get Paps in here at some point in the near future. Friends, don't forget to go out and uh, throw some of our partners your hard-earned cash, because when you do that, the only thing that gets achieved is you help make small American businesses great again like the one they have down there at MyPillow. Mike Lindell, Election Integrity, Spiritual Battle, Apparatus, MyPillow Family, Enter Stake, promo code at checkout to receive big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash stake is the website, or you can call a qualified pillow representative and have a chat about all things related to MyPillow. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear can be found at Odyssey. Everything from the bangers we got in our ears... Not as custom, but to also video game console-specific models. You like Xbox? They got one for that. PlayStation 5? They got one for that as well. Odyssey.com, Facebook and Instagram. Check them out. Stay ready, gear holsters. You're running out of time to get a Gen Saki custom Kydex concealed carried holster from them. I see your time at the administration is short, however. They'll get it done for you and bang it out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. You had some ribs yesterday. Nice. Because I bought it, shook it, sprinkled $700 it. $700 on it. They were quite expensive for, for just a rack of pork ribs. Yeah. It was uh, nearly $20, and I bought three of them to feed Eesh. my family and the in-laws. But uh, I did buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rubbed it. I slow cooked it in the crock pot. And I took it out and broiled it with a little barbecue sauce. Smelling part through my mouth, num num num. Exactly. They were delicious. (laughs) Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. 
servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's awesome. He's got a five-star rating and a pretty simple equation to what he's got going on down there. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. Easy to use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. I got to hit him up. He's looking for something for me. And he'll probably find it faster than ever before. Before. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. Pretty Fire IG. You can find him at MediocreMedic.com and home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Last but not least, Lee. Dumpbox.us. Find him on Facebook and Instagram as well. Upcoming shows. We're pretty loaded heading into the rest of the month. On Friday, we'll be uh, sitting down with Luna Lopez, Florida 4. Jason Preston, Utah 3 is coming back. We'll get an update on the Reawaken America Tour from Mr. Clay Clark. And we'll be sitting down with the managing editor of Human Events, Brett Hemchek. I've got a couple editorials he's written to break down, and we're going to talk about it with him. Next Tuesday, we got a pretty solid one. Herschel Walker, Georgia Senate candidate running against Raphael Warnock, Trump-endorsed, former NFL superstar, will be joining us for the first time. In addition to that... We've got at least Norbin Laden locked down for you guys. I've reached out to Darren Beatty a couple times to see if we can't get them in for a roundtable. I think it would be fun. Next Friday is going to be a banger, though. Mike Collins in Georgia 10 is coming back to give us an update. We're going to have Representative Massey's primary challenger, Claire Worth, running in Kentucky 5 in as well. Geisha Montez will be here to do the news. And nice. Got an America First roundtable with Blake Masters and Jake Paquette. It's going to be hot, hot, hot. Joe Kenson on the 29th of uh, April with us. I think for the fourth or fifth time. I can't wait to sit back down with him. He's always got great content. And and we got a reschedule with Amir Benno, who's supposed to join us today, a uh, constitutional attorney who uh, contributes at Newsmax. And then looking ahead a little bit down the road into May, on the 6th, former Trump administration official, current host of This Is Your Country podcast, Paige Wiley will be joining us. She's pretty fire, so can't wait to sit down with her and uh, have a good discussion. Friends of the Week. Can't say it enough. Hugh White Memes, thank you for sharing us on every platform mm-hmm. imaginable. You share our posts, you make your own posts about us, and you comment on all of our stuff. You're doing all the things that Steak for Breakfast hopes a lot of our listenership does, and uh, you're pretty awesome. Keeps us from being as shadow banned. There you go. In addition to him, uh, let's go with Maria Unmuzzled, the Red Pill Babe. I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, the Duke of Memes, Bruja from the Bay. Cubertos 2.0, Hispanics for DeSantis, Landon Starbuck gave us a bunch of shares this week, so nice. even though she was on the show, she still shared a whole bunch of our stuff. Prison Mitch, Edward Russell, and Snack Nicholson. That's going to do it for this week. I'm just kidding. We can't forget Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Um, do your own research. Because when guests are trying to shuffle around their times and dates 10 minutes before the show starts, if you don't have a decent black book, by researching your candidates, you're not going to have anybody to call on the bat phone like Eric Greitens and get him in here for you guys to listen to. Number two, start a podcast. It goes hand-in-hand with number one. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 124 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back on Friday with Luna Lopez, Jason Preston, Clay Clark, and Brent Hamachek. So on behalf of the podcast team... Two out of three today. I'm Ron Noah. Later. Awesome job today. Thanks for listening and take care. They tell your kids they got to love Justin Biebler, and then Biebler says, hand in your guns, pass the Cybersecurity Act, and, uh, 
you know, uh, the, the police state's good, and then and then your children are turned into mindless vassals who who now they they look up to some twit instead of looking up to Thomas Jefferson or or looking up to Nikola Tesla or looking up to uh, to Magellan. I mean, kids, Magellan's a lot cooler than Justin Bieber. He circumnavigated with one ship the entire planet. He was killed by wild natives before they got back to Portugal, and when they got back, there was only like 11 people alive of the 200 and something crew and the entire ship was rotting down to the waterline. That's destiny. That's will. That's striving. That's being a trailblazer and explore. Going into space. Mathematics. Quantum mechanics. The oh. secrets of the universe. It's all there. Life is fiery with its beauty. It's incredible detail. Tuning into it. They want to shut your mind. Talking about Justin Bieber. Be honest with you. I'm kind of retarded.